Boom! What's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. Super excited to be talking about disinformation, media, and trust. We have Renee Duresta joining us on the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited for this. Me too. You crushed it on Rogan and Sam Harris. You, you. did you did so well <laughs> teaching about your work. Renee Duresta, for those that don't know, is a Mozilla Fellow in Media, Misinformation, and Trust. She investigates the spread of malign narratives across social networks and assists policymakers in understanding and responding to the problem. She has advised Congress, the State Department, and other academic, civic, and business organizations and has studied disinformation and computational propaganda in the context of pseudoscience conspiracies, terrorism, and state-sponsored information warfare. And you can find the links in the bio below to ReneeDuresta.com, as well as her Twitter, No Upside, and also highly recommend downloading the white paper and slide deck from disinformationreport.com and looking at those we'll have a bunch of the images throughout the show that we'll be discussing and also just a crazy thing the generative adversarial network these idea of deep fakes this site creates fake images of people you can find it this person does not exist.com we'll mention that towards the end of the show as well and even before we start with Renee, I want to read about some of the findings that they wrote about um, in the white paper and the slide deck. It's just a couple quick paragraphs and it'll give you an idea of what we're going to talk about. Upon request by the United States Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, SSCI, new knowledge reviewed an expansive data set of social media posts and metadata provided to SSCI by Facebook, Twitter, and Alphabet, plus a set of related data from additional platforms. The data provided to SSCI clearly illustrates that for approximately five years, Russia has waged a propaganda war against American citizens, manipulating social media narratives to influence American culture and politics. The Internet Research Agency, IRA, began its operations in mid-2013 in St. Petersburg, Russia. Run like a sophisticated marketing agency in a centralized office environment, the IRA employed and trained over a thousand people to engage in round-the-clock influence operations, first targeting Ukrainian and Russian citizens, and then well before the 2016 U.S. election, Americans. The scale of their operation was unprecedented. They reached 126 million people on Facebook, at least 20 million users on Instagram, 1.4 million users on Twitter, and uploaded over 1,000 videos to YouTube. As the DOJ indictments have recently revealed, this manipulation of American political discourse had a budget that exceeded 25 million U.S. dollars. You can find all this information again on disinformationreport.com on the white paper and slide deck. Renee, I can't believe that you guys got all this data and ended up scraping through it and coming up with these insights. It's just, it's insane what's going on in our world with exponential technology. So the first question I want to ask you is what are your thoughts on the direction of our world? Um, I, you know, as pertains to this, um, cautiously optimistic. I think we've made a lot of headway in building connections between researchers and tech platforms, between uh, both of those two entities in government, civil society, we've got a lot more in the way of collaborative um, understanding of the problem. How to, we're, we're working on solutions for how to best detect the problem. We're working on policies for how to mitigate and try to preempt the problem. Uh, so we're in a better place than we were in, I would say, 2014, 2015, when we were still trying to decide if this was a problem and what we should do about it. Uh, that said, you know, it's it's an arms race. As we get better at detecting, they get better at evading, and so it's sort of constantly a, a kind of cat and mouse. Uh, um, adversaries evolving as the platforms change the rules. As the rules change, how do we improve our detection to find what they do next? And so that's uh, it's kind of where we are. It's, it's definitely an interesting job. <laughs> 
The words that you used, arms race, I want, really want to highlight those and amplify them because we got to figure out hopefully how to geopolitically work together and not necessarily have an arms race, but rather a collaborative process of figuring right. out how to be together on this rock. <clears throat> and I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll hit on that later in the show as well. Um, Renee, I want to learn about your background. I think it's really important to highlight this. So you grew up in Yonkers and you went to Stony yep. Brook. Yeah. Okay. And then you spent some time in Wall Street and then you moved out to the Bay Area and started doing this for like last eight years. Eight years ago. Teach us about how you got like hooked into computer science and yeah. data. Yeah. Well, computer science, um, my dad's an engineer, so I learned to code when I was uh, nine or so. Um, they, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but they actually like, he kind of bribed me almost. He was like, um, they, they had this like collection of VHS tapes. Remember back in the day, everybody had VHS tapes? And they were like, um, build a database of the VHS tapes in the house and like what drawer they're in. Because do you remember this? Like back yeah. in the olden days, you had to actually go like hunting for your videotape to watch in your mm -hmm. VHS projector. So they, uh, so my dad was like, um, write, uh, write a program so that we have a, like a, almost like a library so we can find videotapes in the house. Of course, it's just a thing for a kid to do. And um, and my prize was like I would get to go to Disney World if I did it, and so it took me like eight months. <laughs> but I mean, so now I've got two kids of my own, and I think like, man, that was real conviction. And how do I how do I do that with my own you know my own children? How do I um, teach my five year old who's uh, already obsessed with YouTube and and you know wants to make videotapes of himself doing things? And I cringe a little bit inside it. Uh, you know, how do you navigate these waters as a parent, but also I'm excited that there is so much interesting, uh, you know, interesting technology that he has access to, and I feel like a lot of what I do is think about how do you, uh, how do I use the skills that I have to create the kind of world that I want him to live in, and then simultaneously how do I impart some of that love of technology and uh, simultaneously a respect for technology while working to, uh, you know, to, to transform some of the negative externalities that we've become aware of in the last couple of years. Yeah, navigating the waters of raising kids into the exponential technology era, good luck. <laughs> and, okay, how about with the computer science and moving into... Um, oh, how did I get into this specifically? Um, yeah, and then moving into Wall Street as well. What were the profound realizations there and what made you move out here? Wall Street, I did, um, it's, it, it's called high frequency trading now, I guess, but um, we called it automated market making. It was, I was on Wall Street from 2004 to 2011 at a firm called Jane Street. Um, I started there as a clerk, actually. I started there just as uh, somebody with a computer science bachelor's degree who wrote, um, you know, scrapers and things, actually, at the time. There really weren't much in the way of APIs thinking about how do we run calculations overnight, implied volatility for options models. I learned, I'd never taken a, a finance class, um, but I really liked math, and so it was a great place to be where I got to learn from people um, and then put my skills to kind of extremely, you know, tangible use just um, and then I I switched over to the other side of the aisle we called it kind of uh, and instead of just being a, a programmer and a clerk I became a trader so then I started working on developing mathematical models for pricing derivatives and uh, it was a fascinating time to be on Wall Street independent of the 2008 financial crisis and the European debt crisis just in terms of seeing how technology transformed the market kind of leading into that so there's macroeconomic um, situations that, that unfolded as, as I was actually a, a trader. But more than that, there was also the um, incorporation of technology into every facet of trading. 
Uh, and so it was a fascinating time to be on Wall Street just to live through that. So I was a trader during the 2008 financial crisis and through the European debt crisis. And then I left in 2011. I just, I felt like I had been through this extraordinary period and things were kind of settling down into something more um, routine again. And I just felt like if I was ever gonna go jump and do something else, like that was the time. Um, I was turning 30, so there was this weird number that, that was kind of associated with it too. And um, I'd never lived in California, but I met Bryce Roberts, who was at O'Reilly Alpha Tech Ventures, one of the uh, partners there. And I just got really interested in the idea of um, what, did, what, what were markets in new and emerging companies like? I'd spent all this time working in public markets with an abundance of data, doing extremely quantitative work. I had no network. I knew almost nobody because Wall Street's very insular. You kind of know the people on your trading desk. Maybe you don't talk about what you do. And uh, so I moved out to the Valley because I wanted a network. I wanted to learn about venture capital. I wanted to be around ideas. Mm. I was useless as an engineer by this point. So <laughs> I was like, I can't go be an engineer at a tech company. Like Jane Street, uh, everything was like OCaml and Visual Basic, which is completely useless. I tried like learning Rails and, and brushing up on skills again for a hot second and then decided that that's probably not the best use of energy. Yeah, came out here. Um, had a great opportunity. I mean, Tim O'Reilly is the uh, is the the O'Reilly behind O'Reilly Alpha Tech Ventures, and he's been such an inspirational figure in the Valley in terms of the idea of create more value than you capture. Mm -hmm. And how do we invest in technology? Not that not just that it's going to be the the the, um, the biggest or the best, but how do you think about a more ethical capitalism? How do you think about ethical companies? How do you invest in companies that are solving real problems. And that was the ethos at OETV. And so I was kind of fortunate to come out to the Valley and uh, for someone like Tim to, uh, to support me in, in the way that he did. And then I got into this stuff actually as like a side project at night. I just, I really missed, um, I missed quantitative work. That was the thing about seed stage venture capital. It's very much, you know, it's very much about the founder and the idea. There's not a lot of data, there's not a lot of numbers, and I found myself kind of missing that. And so I started um, teaching myself data visualization at night and um, trying to connect with people who were looking at data sets to solve interesting problems. And I wound up getting really involved in the anti-anti-vaccine anti, uh, anti -anti movement, I guess, the uh, pro-vaccine you know, pro advocacy, but not so much the advocacy side, more of the um, how do we understand and map how anti-vax activity is spreading on social networks. That was a question that was really interesting to me as a new parent. I, I you know, had, a, had my first baby by that point. And I just started downloading data sets and connecting with data scientists and starting to investigate that question. And then through that process, began to realize that there were some really interesting dynamics about how the social ecosystem fit together that were, uh, that appeared to be somewhat problematic in terms of the way that they allowed extremely small groups of people to have extraordinary amplification and ways in which that could be a force for good, a force for you know, giving a voice to people who previously didn't have one, but also uh, if you layered in a little bit more in the way of manipulation, a little bit in the way of automation, um, potentially disastrous. And so that was what got me interested in uh, how narratives spread online. 
Yeah. Well. Okay. So then, all, yeah, all the way to the to it's the wall. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, all, yeah, in the in the Wall Street days, not being able to build out the, the network that you wanted, doing high frequency trading, kind of like the complexities of that. Um, also, just applying all of the automation technologies that were going on during that time, going through um, the two thousand eight two thousand nine crisis, and also then coming out of it and finding O'Reilly out here, out, out west, and, and being able to build a network, being able to build, um, see companies that had a strong ethos and wanting to help them. Like that kind of stuff also gets us going. We love talking about that as well. Um, but then at the very end, you're like, uh, you got interested because you had a kid. And this is, yeah, a, yeah, you've, yeah you've talked about this before. I really like this point, just that because you had a kid, and that you were seeing a lot of the anti-vax megaphone, you wanted to visualize what, how it was that social media dynamics were causing such vast amplification of such small amounts of people. Um, and I think that's quite an interesting uh, way to get to kind of get yourself involved in um, in the craziness of data visualization and social dynamics. Okay, and then. Um, there's uh, several other things that have gotten you to, you know, to where you are today at Mozilla, but also yep. passing some time with, um, with new knowledge, being able to um, p understand this data set that you got. Um, so, so let's, yeah, there's so many assets in here that we should go through. Yeah, so, sure. so the United States Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, the yep. SSCI, um, got data, metadata from Facebook, Twitter, and Alphabet. Yes. And then that data was analyzed by two groups. One of them was New Knowledge. Yes, and the other was um, uh, uh, Graphica and uh, Oxford Internet Institute out of Oxford University. Oxford University. Yeah, okay. so that was a sort of collaborative second team. Um, Graphica is a tech company that looks at um, network analysis, is their kind of core business, and they look at um, how are conversations being shaped online, who are the influential nodes in the network. Um, what are themes? How does information spread? And they focus very much on Twitter. They do beautiful visualizations. So uh, we put our stuff up on the landing page disinformation report, but Graphica also has a great collection of uh, their own analysis. They, the Senate ran it with um, multiple teams because they didn't want either, you know, you, you want to see, um, given the same data set, do researchers reach the same conclusions? Yeah. Particularly about something as sensitive as uh, election interference in 2016, which, as we'll, I'm sure, discuss, is only a part of what happened, but it's a political football. And how do yeah. you um, how do you ensure that if only one team does the research, it's very easy to you know discredit or to um, say that the researcher is biased, but by, by right. doing this kind of blind process. We didn't know Graphica was doing it. They didn't know we were doing it. Oh, cool. Yeah, so okay. we didn't communicate with them until the very end. And the findings were somewhat, because I haven't seen Yeah, Graphica. the findings are uh, you know extremely similar. They focused a little bit more on the Twitter data. We focused more on the Facebook and Instagram data, okay. uh, partly because that was, that was actually, you know, the Senate was um, recognized that certain tech um, companies like New Knowledge and Graphica have uh, complementary in this case capabilities and so we spent a little bit more time on the Instagram and they spent a little more time on Twitter okay but okay. the findings are largely the same and then and then I want to know um, how exactly um, the data came in because yeah because yeah, um, I think on a, we won't spend too much time in the technical weeds but like how did all of the data come in and how did you guys even begin trying to understand how to scrape it for information yeah so 
the Senate um, began holding hearings into Russian interference on social media back in um, October or November 2017. And as part of that, um, I had connected with people on the committee via Tristan Harris and Roger McNamee, who were going down to DC somewhat regularly, encouraging the uh, Senate to, to hold these hearings. And I became part of that process because I felt that <coughs> this was becoming so politicized. And there were just huge, you know, huge segments of the population that just didn't believe it happened even. And so we said, okay, if the Senate holds hearings, the tech platforms will come and they themselves will acknowledge that it happened. And so maybe we can bypass this idea that it's all a democratic, you know, figment fantasy kind of thing. And it's, I, I, this is the first conversation I've had about this post Mueller report coming out. Mm -hmm. And so let me just caveat just right off the bat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> With collusion and interference are two separate things. I was never asked to investigate collusion. That was entirely outside of the scope of what I was asked to look at. Was I, what I was asked to look at was, um, given the data set that was attributed by the platform, so at no point did I say these accounts are Russian. The platforms established that themselves. Mm. They gave the data to the Senate. The mm. Senate tasked uh, research teams, us, Graphica, and Oxford, with analyzing the data. So and that is how- how did Facebook and um, Twitter and Alphabet know that these accounts were from IRA? Yeah, so that is a very interesting question, and that was never divulged uh, to us. So. As you'll, if you read the, my caveating in the methodology section, it's uh, to the best of my knowledge, assuming the attribution is correct, here is your analysis. Okay. I think that, th so when we think about a disinformation campaign, one of the steps in that process is amassing uh, operationalizable assets. So fake accounts, fake pages, email addresses, the creation of things that are gonna be deployed uh, through the course of the operation. Sometimes the operation is discrete. It's um, here, you usually see that with like trolls, more of like a here's a campaign to change people's perception about one moment in time. This was a multi-year process. So when you have a long game, they build up these assets and oftentimes if they're sloppy, um, what you'll see is they'll recycle an email address. Uh, there'll be an IP block that is used. There'll be, um, they were reusing, um, they had Yandex tags and some of the website code. They had, um, let's see, uh, AdWords accounts that were shared across a couple of the pages. Um, so the, okay. the platforms have access to metadata about account creation and things like that. No outside researcher can see that stuff. So when okay. we're looking at campaigns, we're looking at it from uh, dissemination patterns, sure. repetitive use of content. It's a different process. So that was the, um, they did the attribution though. They, yeah, okay, so the so social platforms did the attribution and they have the data that showed them that they thought that this came from IRA. Yes. And then that then you guys do the analysis data set. So now what what do you get then and how do you, <coughs> like you said, there's dis, there's dissemination patterns and content. What, what, what does the data set look like that you get and then how do you start scraping it for information? Um, about 400 gigs in folders. <laughs> Some of it was PDFs, uh, that, was a, that was a disaster. Um, it took us about a month and a half to do what's called clean the data, which is just to put it into some sort of um, format that is standardizable across a database. So to create a database taxonomy, um, to create a, um, a way that we can think about interrelated assets. So a post has 
metadata about the post, it has the content of the post, it has the image content, it has the text content, it has the account name. So you're thinking about this in terms of how do you design a schema to make this a, uh, to, to standardize content across data sets provided from three platforms because ultimately you want to understand what's happening in each silo, but more importantly you want to understand what this looks like across the entire ecosystem. So it took about a month and a half just to um, extract, you know, because, because you want URLs to be, if you want to know what URLs they tweeted the most, you have to have your URLs in a, you know, in a table where you can do that kind of aggregation and things. And so the first step in doing, this is more of a forensic analysis than a detection campaign. As I said, the attribution was already done. I was just asked to analyze it as opposed to go find more Russian content based on this which was something that we did as part of the investigation, um, but we were tasked with re report on what this content. Um, so month and a half on cleaning it. And then after that, um, the exploratory period, how do you, what do you ask? What do we want to know? I mean, we, during the cleaning process, we had two data scientists on the cleaning. By the way, the data set was NDA'd, so the company did not do the analysis. Uh, six of us within the company and two of us outside the company did the analysis. Okay. So it was um, siloed in such a way that it wasn't a new knowledge project in quite the same way. It was like a, a team of people. So we had to really work on how do you, like, recognizing that people have actual jobs and things that they have to do, <laughs> how do we allocate like resources to, to put people um, on this project? So while two data scientists were working on the database schema, um, Three others of us were in a Word document thinking about what are we going to ask? And mm. you know, so that was a conversation of what does the Senate want to know? Um, what do we know from the media? What are the gaps in our knowledge? Um, some of it was just running queries, looking at keywords, phrases, things that come up. Um, some of it is summary statistics, which is what appears the most, uh, what image is the most popular, had images hop from platform to platform? What did they do over time? So not just um, not just quantity, but uh, longitudinal over, the, again, this is yeah. several years, right? Um, 2012. How does the conversation in 2012 look versus the conversation in 2018? Why are there spikes in account creation around these dates? What's happening in the real world? How can we trace back um, memes that go viral with moments in the real world? can we look at the data and say this is what they created themselves versus this is what they appropriated from real American uh, news sources. Uh, there's just so much to ask. The, yeah. uh, the, it was yeah. about, um, let's say maybe eight months or so of work. Yeah, uh, to even with eight months of work, and I think I wrote like 260 pages or something, there was still a feeling of, um, did we answer everything? You know, did yeah. we? So the Mueller report comes out, the first thing I do is go back to my, <laughs> pull up the data set again and compare Mueller's footnotes with what I know to be true. And um, you know, every new story that comes out, you treat as like a breadcrumb that can lead you to find out something interesting about the operation. Yeah. So. Okay, a couple things. First yep. is you also said that on Instagram and Facebook, you guys just yeah. didn't get any data pre-January so, 2015. Right. <laughs> was on those two platforms. Yeah. And I just also want to, um, just uh, just for on a technical side of things, database schema. Mm -hmm. And be, so oh. spending, well, just spending a, a six weeks 
on trying to uh, take 400 gigs of data and put it into some sort of a cohesive um, database that you can then query. Um, that's very tough. And then you have to query for things like you said, like the date, the image, the URLs, all this type of stuff. And like this is, this is a lot of tough technical nuance yeah. to be able to handle. And we have a bunch of these that we can go over um, as we talk. So because there's so many also um, technical applications that you could potentially leverage. Like, I'm curious um, uh, how much, because you had to do some uh, image recognition to be able to see yeah. if, yeah, to see if, if one was used on Facebook and one was used on Instagram. Yeah, we yeah. did um, image clustering for similarity, um, varying degrees of similarity, exact match versus, um, in the slide deck I put out, we did things like, you know, there's a cluster of images in the shape of Texas, right? Because they had a Texas secessionist page. Um, that doesn't really give us any remarkable insight, but you do just run sort of a series of um, image analysis to look at, um, did they use the same image across their pages? Did they repeat the same image within a page? How did they treat high-performing content? Can we flag an image as this is high-performing content? Did it traverse more widely? Did they leverage it and reuse it again? Yeah. Um, with, uh, with, with Twitter, we had, a <laughs> we had an interesting challenge, which was the uh, URL data was not given to us unrolled. So it came in t.co links. Yeah. So you couldn't immediately put that into a database and have any meaningful insights into what the URLs were. Um, Graphica did the labor-intensive work of actually um, unrolling all of that stuff. Since we were focused more on Instagram and, um, and Facebook, we didn't. Uh, but one of the things that we could see was for a lot of the t.co links, the image that would come in was actually the logo of the news domain. So using that as almost like a breadcrumb, we could see over time um, their use of things like CNN.com and NewYorkTimes.com. And then gradually, as the operation went on, you started to see more of these news logos from local news. So you would see them grabbing um, you know, media from, I think, Colorado and Denver and Baltimore. And so you would see these local news logos beginning to kind of populate in the data set. So that was just sort of an interesting thing that um, was that actually emerged via uh, image, you know, just our look at images over time as opposed to um, yep. actually having that um, proven out with uh, the URL data. And I think that recently somebody's gone through and looked at the unrolled URLs and kind of corroborated that that was happening, that they moved more into local at the time. So that was nice to see. Um, also, the, like when you said that, there's also this process of going into um, like a, a Word doc and actually being able to say what, what does um, the Senate, what would they want us to be <coughs> figuring out? So you're constantly working with your team on asking all of the hard questions and figuring out what exactly you want to take from the data to actually be able to say like we addressed the vast majority of the hard questions. Um, so what we saw before was a timeline and you indicated that yeah, you have create these things like spike periods. Why are there spike periods? These are the top uh, performing individual content on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things like, this is a, almost a million engagements on the asset on the right. Um, I was banned from television for being too violent, like and share if you grew up watching me on television, have a gun and haven't shot or killed <laughs> anyone. Um, and then if, like and share if you think our veterans must get benefits before refugees that had uh, 725,000 total engagements on Facebook. So these are 
huge numbers. These are massive numbers. And we believe then that these assets were created by the Internet Research Agency and then disseminated through Facebook uh, pages that uh, the more kind of uh, polarizing the content could get, the more uh, that it would harm the country's discourse. Yes, but also um, a lot of what they were doing was like, like this thing here, I was banned from TV for being too violent, like and share if you haven't shot or killed somebody. That was posted on a page that was about Southern Pride and there's a you know, Confederate flag behind it. Um, a lot of it was like you know, reinforcing tribalism. Like that's very much like a right on, like yeah, I feel that too. Um, people uh, act like guns are such a big deal, but really I've had a gun and I haven't killed anybody. So it's more of like a um, yes and kind of, like I feel that too. And um, there was a, I, I don't know, um, on Instagram there was a, uh, I think the top performing content was a picture of um, a shoe company. Yeah, I think oh, that's... Oh, do, do you have that one? Yeah, we have, um, that one will come up as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, so I'll save, I'll save that, but, uh, but that, that again was sort of a, um, yes, I all, that, that was related to um, how hard it, you know, what it means for a black woman to hear the word nude, and nude refers to like kind of a beige color that's like me more, and so not so much a, um, you know, when a black woman hears nude that is a that kind of like is a reinforcement that you're maybe not what this was designed for and so that got a lot of likes because that again is sort of like very much like a yes I, you know i feel that pain kind of uh um like and solidarity so a lot of it is like how do you build these tribes where you're reinforcing an identity particularly an identity that feels itself um, perhaps alienated from or has a sense of uh, grievance or a, a detachment from like mainstream American society and oftentimes these grievances are rooted in very real cultural moments but what uh, what an operation like this does is it seeks to reinforce that feeling of division to widen existing rifts as opposed to you know it's not Russia didn't create racism in American society. Russia didn't create the tension between kind of the um, Confederate pride versus racism kind of uh, framing there. And that's the sort of exacerbation. Thing. Of exactly. It. Yeah. And the, the, so then that can lead to serious, um, if if just thought about it like a mimetic warfare perspective, just in the sense that if you do disseminate, um, uh, you know, uh, a, that tens of thousands of pieces of content, get millions and millions of engagements, hit hundreds of millions of people, what ends up happening is you end up having these deep impacts on people's cognition where the way that they think about having a conversation with someone that disagrees with them is shattered that you can't have that conversation right. the nuance gets shattered and that can hurt a country in the long run um, and people in the long run and then this was also interesting because there was a you know these thousands of people that are hired by the um, internet research agency also have a understanding of American culture mm -hmm. enough to say that lefty can't enjoy drinking milk because it promotes white supremacy I'm pretty sure that that was repurposed. I don't think that was an original creation. I think okay. I went back and looked over it. And some that, are that original, yeah, some yeah, yeah. are not. So, <clears throat> and that, that was, um, that is a ongoing, colossal pain in the butt as far as analysis because the whole point of memes is that they go viral and so the trace back to the original source is extremely difficult, particularly because a lot of the time um, it, when you're doing something like using a Google reverse image search or TinEye or the other kind of Yandex commercially available tools, um, if it has that angry eagle 
uh, that was a brand mark that, that they named a page, an Instagram account, Angry Eagle. Um, once that brand mark is on there, if you have the same image with a different brand mark, it doesn't always flag. Uh, so sometimes mm. it still does. It depends mm -hmm. on what percentage similarity is still there. Uh, sometimes they would take something and they would uh, kind of change it a little bit more dramatically, um, take so it down to grayscale, you know, do these sorts of things. But you, you, figuring out where it came from is an interesting challenge. Ultimately, um, they do repurpose real American content, which yeah. means that all they have yeah. to do is amplify hyperpartisan sentiment. And in this particular operation, from 2014 to 2018, they worked to make their own pages. And so it was important yeah. to them to frame themselves as independent media. And so they stuck brand marks on everything. But I don't think that that's where it's going. That's part of the problem, right? Because you don't need to, you are much more vulnerable to detection if you're trying to amass this page and frame yourself as an independent media outlet that people might go scrutinize versus to just um, kind of drop memes that come from real legitimate sources uh, that everybody knows sure. that just amplify a hyperpartisan point Correct. of view as opposed Correct. to create your own. Create your own, yeah. understand the culture. So there's this, this idea that if you can start several years ago and build up uh, dozens of pages that are slowly kind of developing their, in their um, youthful years and, um, and then you can take and scrape content from existing partisan pages and then just reshare that content on the pages that you've been developing over several years yeah. and developing followerships. Also, you can um, create your own unique content and also be um, distributing that with, again, these different, um, and we'll talk about repurposing in a little bit. Yep. So there's these different ways of handling this. All right, let's hit the next one, Ronnie. This was the top Facebook um, performer for Donald Trump. Um, yeah, in force, uh, re referencing Donald Trump. And this was uh, for uh, um, Stop All Invaders mm -hmm. was the page. That was an immigration-focused page. Um, so the, uh, the, one of the things that was interesting was like as we looked at the Trump-Hillary content, um, how, did, you know, how did we quantify what was Trump and Hillary content? <laughs> so some of that is like, who appears in the image or um, whose name appears in the image. But for Hillary, they had 20 different nicknames, Shillery, Killery, you know, those, all the variants. Um, and so we were like, all right, so what is our corpus of names for the identification looking through this 400 gigs? Like, how do we extract stuff that relates to, um, to, to Trump and Hillary? So that was an interesting, um, that was an interesting challenge. But with this, yeah. this, was, um, this was January 2017. So this is after the election. Yep. And Again, the themes of like who is an American, um, preying on like this weird conspiracy theory that somebody is going to establish Sharia law on American soil. This is a thing that pops up in right-wing fever swamps occasionally, but is not uh, a thing that is really mainstreamed. Um, but they do take uh, more obscure, hyper-partisan, fear-based narratives yes. and push that out. And that can get 312,000 shares. Yeah. Hyperpartisan fear-based narratives. Um, there's the the next one is the top um, Hillary Clinton performer, and this one's like if you agree, only <coughs> U.S. citizens should be allowed to vote. And then this said 77,000 shares. Yep. So this was so there was no um, there were none actually, uh, no pro Hillary memes on Facebook or Instagram. None and were pro? No, none? None. Uh, there was one, and I don't know if it's in here, but 
it's definitely in the deck. There was an ad encouraging Muslims to rally in support of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so verbally, you might argue that that is a post in support That's of Hillary pro, Clinton. Sure, sure, but yeah, you yeah. know what they really were going for there? It was like let's have a uh, let's have groups of Muslims come out and rally to support Hillary Clinton in the middle of Washington D.C. The, the goal is to create a spectacle that they could then use as you know to to create fear, which is like. Um, look at Muslims, which is this group that they were using, that they were consistently demonizing on the right-wing targeted pages. Um, so that would have been a great collection of new media assets for them to, to draw on. Uh, so there were, there were no pro, nothing pro-Clinton. There were, there were some anti-Trump posts, to be clear. Yeah. So the, they roughly grouped their pages into right-wing, left-wing, and then the black community got its own special um, 33 pages dedicated to the black community on Facebook alone. Wow. Um, and so they, they did segment out race-focused. So while black Americans mostly are Democrats and left-leaning, um, not all, but most, they still treated that as a separate silo versus generic left-wing content. So there was anti-Trump content in the generic left-wing content because, of course, if you're running a left-wing meme page, it would be easily discovered if you were all of a sudden putting out you know, pro-Trump stuff on there. Um, so what they were doing there was it was anti-Clinton and pro-Jill Stein and pro-Bernie Sanders. And yeah, so, yeah. and after Bernie Sanders was out of the election, uh, pro-Jill Stein and pro-not voting. And we'll, we'll have some um, data visualizations as well as we go through in this clustering that you're talking about. Let's, mm -hmm. let's go to the next one. There's this targeting Americans. So what was the deal? This is one of the pages called Blacktivists. This is one of the 33 pages. Mm -hmm. Okay. This video may bring you to tears, make it go viral. We need this unity in our communities. And again, it's about pride. Um, so really, that's what they're that's what they're going for. It was, you know, the they did a lot of um, targeting by race in the in the ads. And so um, the way that you do that is you target by interests. And so you would see things like. Um, interests, Malcolm X, interests, Martin Luther King, interests, um, you know, various facets of black culture. I think there's something, I think that I, I definitely noted this, there was something about behavior, like African-American behavior. Uh, so the ad targeting on Facebook, um, if you've never run a Facebook ad campaign, you maybe mm -hmm. have run a Facebook ad yeah, campaign yeah. for your page or something, right? So yeah. you know that you've got the ad tool, you can go demographically, you can go regionally, um, you can go by interest, you can go by behavior. Um, you can go by look-alike audiences and custom audiences, which are more sophisticated. And so we did see evidence of, we didn't see evidence of look-alike that wasn't included. There were a couple of custom audiences, but we didn't have the specifics that wasn't included in the data set. Um, they did a lot of targeting. So if there had been an officer involved shooting in a particular city, they would target that city with ads related to uh, following pages that had officer-involved shootings. And then if there was a officer-involved shooting in a different city, they would kind of like add that city on, so they would keep targeting any city that had been, uh, that had had a officer-involved shooting incident in which a black man was the victim. Uh, they would continue to kind of re-up and re-up and re-up um, that with ads, and, and so there would be ads run on anniversaries of deaths of people who had Damn. been involved in officer-involved shootings. There were uh, ads for protest marches um, in solidarity with other cities. So they, they, they um, in some ways, 
the ad targeting was less sophisticated, meaning purely politically speaking, I think we would have expected to see more in Ohio and Pennsylvania and um, states that were of value in the election, in the Electoral College. That wasn't really in there, but the, uh, the use of, of American cultural moments and American tragedies to continue to, to target communities, that was in there. Well, to, yeah, to be able to be intelligent enough to know when an anniversary is coming up um, or to be able to target a specific city that recently had, um, it just, it's, it's eliminating all of, the, all of the nuance and all of the solutions that we actually want to get at because it can just create that polarization. Um, okay, so the simple ads that promoted pages the mm -hmm. is the next one. Um, so this is the, um, how, how many total Facebook pages were there again? Uh, 81. 81 total yeah. Facebook pages. Yeah. Back the badge, being patriotic, brown power. And, the, and these were um, promoted um, and targeted. Yeah, these were targeted. Um, so for brown power, they would, you know, interest bases would be um, Mexican culture and uh, I think Aztec culture might have been in there as a targeting thing. Um, Back the Badge was a pro-police pro uh, page. Being patriotic was just kind of right-wing culture. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head that if that one ran targeting. I think if, if, if they must have, if they did this, it would have been, sometimes it's like um, people who like some of their other pages that, are, that have audience similarity. Uh, sometimes it's, um, it's, it's demographic age. They did segment their conservative pages. There were some age age-based targeting in there where they had a recognition that like younger people might be more akin, might feel more resonance with like the snarky meme content as opposed to the more like flags everywhere and Ronald Reagan kind of content, yeah, which yeah. is more of a older generation of, uh, of conservative. Um, so that was kind of in there. And then you can see with these, I don't recall off the top of my head the dates that these ran, but at the time, you can see how many people liked the these page. These are huge pages. At the time. Yeah, 200. Yeah, so well, no, it went up to 500,000 for, uh, for some of them. Um, so that's why I said I don't know at what point in the history yeah. this one ran, if it's got 203,000. I don't know off the top of my head remember what they wound quick, up getting up to. Quick question. Yeah. So then if Facebook gave the 81, <coughs> 81 Facebook pages, uh, they believe came from IRA, mm -hmm. then they then turn around and say that, hey, we know you're doing manipulations, we're gonna... Uh, oh, they deleted the pages before they gave the data to the Senate. These okay, pages came interesting. Down. Yeah, Facebook yeah. deleted the 81 pages yes. even before they gave the data to the Senate. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. So then you were scraping, yeah, data that was, yeah. Bef oh, wow. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't not not scraping in the scraping to me means actually like writing a scraper and sure, sure, uh, and, okay. and and and, you were and analyzing. violating a term of service. <laughs> <laughs> You're analyzing, which I did not do. <laughs> data from pages that were right. already uh, dead yes. on Facebook, and then also the um, all of the Twitter is three thousand seven hundred, thirty eight hundred or so, thirty eight hundred Twitter yeah. accounts. Did that same thing happen? Is yeah, they Twitter, were down before. So yes. Twitter put down the 3,800 accounts and then gave the data. Yes. And same process with Instagram. Twitter later released its data en masse to the public. So the public can go and download that data. It's been, it's been made public. Um, wow. Facebook has a series of constraints, which is regular people's pictures appear in the content. Oh. And so the house released the ads. So you can go 
and a couple of um, academic institutions have made the ads nicely searchable because they were released in PDF format, uh, which is not very machine readable. It's not a very friendly way to put in. Well, okay, it's, this particular type of PDF is, uh, you know, the image was just kind of like stuck in there. There was no way to extract it out. But anyway, the. Um, some very patient academics did that and made it public and uh, included all the tags for the different ad targeting. So people can go and explore this. You'll see the pictures of people in the ads. They have uh, blacked out faces. Somebody went and redacted, okay. Okay. Uh, redacted the images. So there were a couple thousand ads, but there are 200,000 memes. So to go through and redact out uh, faces in the majority of the data set hasn't been done. I don't know if it will be done. I think there's some concerns about uh, privacy and other things with that. And then we can also say that out of all of the Facebook pages, I Instagram posts, um, t and Twitter posts, um, and pages, that all these pages and posts that were created, they then spawned off like a butterfly effect. A bunch of other, the, not only the memes continuing to live on mm -hmm. other pages that haven't been taken down, right. but the, this type of stuff. So it's not like, it's just like, oh, it got all taken down. It's already made a massive butterfly Yeah, so effect. I can make, I mean, to get into like, since we're having a more technical conversation in the weeds, um, there's like assets, which is like the thing the Internet Research Agency controls. So they controlled the pages. But then there's just the collateral, right? The content. Um, so the meme. And the entire purpose of creating a meme, whether it's the Internet Research Agency or anybody, is for it to go viral. That is the entire purpose, right? It's to be a unit of, you know, it's a, in the academic definition, it's a unit of cultural transmission. Correct. It's a, a thing, I saw you had Dawkins' book on yeah. your shelf back there. Um, so it's a, a way in which we develop society and shared cultures through these sharing of these snippets. So the entire point is virality. And so when, so there are tons of IRA memes, they are still being shared today. I see them all the time on hyperpartisan uh, meme pages. It makes it really hard, actually, as a as a as a researcher, because you're like, oh, I recognize that. Well, if this person is sharing an IRA meme, what's the likelihood that this account is in some way affiliated with this operation? And you have to say, you know, so you you can't make that judgment, of course, based on like two or three memes, because the entire point is that it is shared everywhere. Uh, but it definitely does mean that when you encounter this content over and over and over and over again, you realize that people were very receptive to it. Um, and it, it continues to propagate. And so we can't do analysis of what is a likely additional IRA page purely from the view on the outside because the content uh, doesn't tell you enough. And then did the platforms also then take uh, uh, the preventative measures to prevent um, somehow knowing if IRA was making more pages and making more accounts? Well, so that's where you get at the interesting things with the metadata. So if you create a second Twitter account on your phone, Twitter has, um, to the best of my knowledge, some concept of device ID, right? Mm -hmm. um, these, are, these are technologies that, are, that exist because of spam detection, right? So platforms want to know if somebody is creating hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of accounts on one device ID, that's probably an indication that there's some spam thing happening, right? Because even if you're a media property where you have four or five accounts, probably, you know, if you're an agency, you might have some special um, situation. But 
And even device ID are, itself isn't even um, because device ID we've seen those big farms. Yeah, exactly. Just, have, just the <laughs> the click I mean, farms. Yeah, click farms, and there's separate devices that all are running separate accounts. So it's like if you can get right. a device for only ten bucks now, um, yes. and and download the app and make an account and and just change the global conversation with that process at times a million phones. I mean, we're talking like crazy power with something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I just wanted to. I just wanted to. No, say no. no. That I mean, that's well. that's basically the. Uh, so that's that's one of the challenges. So the um, platforms are looking more at. They can look at the content in the network. If the adversary, if the you know, we we use the term malign actor, but uh, if the person creating the stuff is sloppy, then as we saw it, because Twitter did provide um, information about email addresses and and things and their data set to the Senate. Um, you can see them reusing email addresses. We saw on YouTube they reused email addresses. So if you know that one email address is you know, conclusively attributed to a malign page, it's a good indication for the platform that they can then go and look and see um, was that related to other malign pages. If this person is an administrator for this page and an administrator for this page, and this page is shown to be Russian, what are the, or, or whoever, Iranian now these days, anybody, um, what can we say about that relationship. It's not always so because this might be uh, an unwitting dupe who was a real American who was made an administrator for the page or conversely created the page and made a Russian troll an administrator on their page. That did happen. Um, so how do we, you know, this is where it, it's not a purely, um, there is no methodology of detection of ongoing operations that doesn't involve substantial human review. You cannot tell just based on um, metadata. So it, it does get really way down into probabilities that something is um, malign. And as wow. they improve operational security and don't reuse email addresses and don't, you know, they used Russian Beeline phones to register some of their Twitter accounts, you eventually see them move into Google Voice, right? Which is a much harder thing to assess because regular real Americans use Google Voice all the time. If you have a Russian Beeline phone tied to a Twitter account pretending to be Baltimore City Media, sure. that's a red flag. Sure, if you have sure. a Google Voice account tied to the same thing, that might not be. A red flag, yeah. The, this is the type of nuance that's crazy. Not only is it that an individual can have, <coughs> you or I can have up to five or however many Twitter accounts we want, but also corporations have Twitter accounts, organizations have Twitter accounts. So now just the sheer amount of how do you know if it's the actual organization themselves or someone from around the world acting as the organization. This and how do you have the proper algorithms that sense these types of things and what is the proper course of action? Um, these are the tough, tough questions. Um, all right, let's go on to um, the top performers um, on Facebook by timing of posts by page. So this kind of shows you over time from 2014, from the end of 2014 until 2017, the end of 2017. Um, yeah, we were interested, I know this is an eye chart. Um, Jonathan yeah. Albright made this. Um, we were interested in what topics they considered worth starting pages over, over time. And we were interested in um, did they create the page when the issue became a thing, so to speak, or did they create the page uh, in anticipation? Mm -hmm. Did they repurpose the page? Yes, you know, yes. what, what were they doing? Uh, and so RM8, which is the furthest, most left one, that mm -hmm. was actually a travel page. That was just kind of like um, millennials talking about travel. There are things that we know, so this is, an, again, Facebook is an interesting case because Facebook provided data 
um, starting in early 2015, I think with RM8, they gave us some stuff from 2014, but we know that they were operating pages on Facebook prior to that because Adrian Chen of New York uh, wrote an excellent piece called The Agency in the New York Times Magazine where he alludes to other pages that they were running on celebrity culture. And so um, Facebook provided to the Senate starting uh, January 1st, 2015, and so some of that old stuff doesn't appear. Um, but what you see is like being patriotic, so basic patriotism, LGBT United, they were uh, early on there, uh, Heart of Texas, they get to secession in uh, 2015, mm -hmm. and you start to see as things like narratives about Confederate monuments heat up, those pages turn on, um, the ways in which like the meme, the meme content comes a little bit later, that, that sort of stuff. So the, you, we wanted to see um, what you could get at regarding what they saw as early American issues versus later American issues, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. And the Y is is the page in the X's time. Oh, I'm sorry, did I screw yeah, that up? I just, yeah, I just noticed that too. So just the <laughs> X's time, that. Y is, yeah, the Y is the page. And then, yeah, so it's like, when did they come up? How often it did they it's post? It's not even really an axis, it's just yeah, over it's time. A, it's yeah, it's a table. Yeah, There's yeah, 130 yeah. slides in that, in that There's deck. There's so I many guy. slides. It took me hours to look through this and learn about I, it. You know, it's honestly, so cool. I probably copied and pasted that thing because that was a whole section where the y-axis did represent time for a lot of it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's all good. Um, so then, yeah, so then understanding things like this, and then the next one is another really good visual, the comparative engagement on Facebook. These are the top 20 accounts. Yeah. So you can see in this top area, the account that got the most likes was being patriotic, got 6.3 million likes. Um, the one that got the most comments was the Stop All Invaders account, which got 773,000 comments. Black Activists got the most reactions at 1.3 million reactions. Heart of Texas got the most shares at almost 5 million shares. And this was over from 2015, 2018? Yep. Okay. So we were interested in, um, with when we, when we did these kinds of things, we were curious about, um, gosh, there was so much stuff actually. So we looked at, um, we were trying to get a sense of what audiences the content resonated with and what were their big hits. So this, as it says, is the top 20 accounts. If you look at also in the deck somewhere is all across all 81 of the accounts and you see this huge long tail where you have extraordinary engagement in the top 20. So this looks like you know low, but even here you see the pretty substantial drop off um, yeah. between the, the, uh, the kind of Mo the cluster where they really like hit um, and it was successful versus the rest. They follow uh, up. And even so, with this, this is still you know half a million to a million. Um, Which is still reactions, a lot. I think, in this. Yeah. But, a, so. but like the other sixty-one accounts have barely any. Right. Yeah. Right. So there were a lot of failures. Yeah. And and what you see there is like throw things at the wall and see what sticks. So we tried to caveat everything to the greatest extent possible with. Um, how do you properly contextualize this in the mainstream media environment? So what you'll hear a lot is um, overall relative to the entire sum total of election-related content, these numbers are small. That is absolutely true. Um, another thing that, you know, that you'll hear is um, Fox News gets 10x this, uh, you know, 10x the engagement on any given post, and that is also true. Uh, what's interesting is we looked at the ways in which they segmented their audiences down extremely small, and then they pretended to be those people. So the, so it, it's not so much Fox News or CNN or whatever, you know, ivory tower media behemoth telling you something. 
It's your fellow Texas secessionist communicating with you, your fellow LGBT person communicating uh. with you. And so the posts and the content on the page is really about building up communities around these are people like us. Mm-hmm. And so given that, one the you know, I have I have felt that using as a denominator the sum total of every post on Facebook, of course this is tiny relative to sure, that, sure. absolutely. Um, but what I think is interesting, of identity exactly, is when is when you are targeting something not as a media property, but as a fellow, uh, you know, fellow American, or as a fellow American who fundamentally distrusts the media and is saying we can't trust what mainstream media is telling us. We have to be thinking independently. And so you see, as a theme throughout, particularly like Blacktivist, it was I didn't trust the media, so I became it. You know, basically saying. Um, the media doesn't tell our stories, so we're going to tell our own stories, and so we're going to build up a community of people uh, telling our own stories. And so this is where you get at, that is a sentiment that resonates with many Americans. Um, so what they're doing is they're capitalizing on that erosion of trust. They're capitalizing on that ability to create tribes, and then they're going in that way. So that's the more interesting, I think, um, thing to assess when we look at this operation, not did it achieve 10% of the total engagements of election related yeah, yeah, yeah. content, which is just never going to happen in a, totally. uh, you know, so. Totally, yeah. Um, I want to hit on the next visualization is also, you call <coughs> it the, the jawbreaker. I thought that was We call these funny. the jawbreakers. The <laughs> Jonathan Albright does great visualizations. He's at, um, he's a professor at Columbia um, Tau Journalism School. And uh, this is our jawbreaker. So some of the reasons for doing these, um, is actually just part of the exploratory process, right? Which is when you ask a question, sometimes visualizing something helps insights pop out. What we were looking at with um, the the jawbreakers, so each ring, each colored ring is uh, one uh, page, and then the circles in them are sized according to um, reach of the post. And so we were very interested in the breakout posts, the kind of like, you know, total interactions and things like that. And so we were, uh, so so that was that was more a function of what we were looking at here. Yeah, yeah. the size. Uh, so each color is a page, and then yep. each um, the size is the um, uh, each the post that went almost the most viral. Yeah, the bigger. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and cool, cool. I love yep. these visualizations. And then the next one is um, kind of some of the memes that were propagated about um, saying things like. Um, uh, f- f- like oh. fa- yeah, Facebook's uh, like that's a nice opinion you have there should, should tyranny censorship yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how so means. Yeah, yeah. I know that was um, yeah they were really on that early right so it's March 2017 the idea that um, Facebook moderating Russian troll pages was tyranny and censorship uh, that narrative is not uncommon again right the idea that um, Facebook is persecuting our community by taking down our content. That you could argue that that's an extremely mainstream view right now. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there you have it. In March 2017, um, they were really cranky about <laughs> about getting moderated. Um, and it, it, it triggers that inflammatory um, response of that. Oh, our community is being yeah. Facebook is full of, of liberal fascists and domestic terrorists moderating our page. Wow. Yeah. yeah how that's very uh, partisan and very inflammatory and um, yeah, and not nuanced yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and increasingly mainstream opinion. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then the next one is um, we transitioned a little bit to Instagram. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then here are some of the opposition to Hillary's candidacy. Yeah, they had a, an Instagram account that was focused on feminism and social justice. It did not have a parallel Facebook page. So a lot of the Instagram accounts also had Facebook pages, as you would expect if you're running a media property, you know, you're all over the internet. Feminism tag appeared to simply go into the feminism hashtag, gather content from there, and repurpose it. And that was, uh, most, most of the account did not seem to be producing original content. It was just their um, attempt to create a feminism-focused um, social justice intersectionality kind of page. Mm -hmm. And they used it mostly to um, erode support for Hillary Clinton among feminists. That was the point. Gosh, and it's just the repurposing is crazy. Did you guys? Did you guys ever at all laugh when you were looking at it? Yeah, all the time. You I guys did all laughed? the time. Okay. Yes, okay. yes. Okay. I know. Was, I <laughs> yeah, because it can be such a serious issue that. Like no, sometimes look, it's fun you have to, to just you laugh. have to recognize this is not about it. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is an emotional exercise, right? And if you as a researcher can't recognize that this stuff works and resonates on an emotional level, then I don't think you understand like, you know, as a human that propaganda works. And and that's a that's a thing where I can sit there and I can quote for you the number of likes and tweets and this and that and the other thing, but ultimately this is about producing content that emotionally resonates with people, yeah. bolstered by the signal of all of the likes and retweets because that reinforces to just as, you know, our heuristic that it's a thing worth paying attention to. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but really, no, I, I mean, I laughed at the right-wing ones. I laughed at the left-wing left -wing ones. ones. They were, yeah. The left-wing ones, like, the humor fell flat. A lot of the time, it actually wasn't very good. Um, and I'm going to point out a couple It might be because left-wing people can't meme, but... <laughs> there, there, you know, when I, and I, you, it'd be, it's interesting that there's, um, there's even a bit in here that, that is uh, spelled a specific way. I mean, I'll point it out later, but that you can tell that it actually has... Um, a little bit of that Russian misspelling. Yep. Um, the next one is the top performer on Instagram. Um, oh yeah, this is was the one we talked about a little bit earlier. Correct. Yeah, yeah. so this is again, um, uh, so Instagram is interesting. You can't really do a one-to-one -one comparison because Instagram only has two types of engagements. It has comments and likes versus uh, Facebook, which has the react G and the shares. Mm -hmm. um, but that said, this was the most popular um, had the most engagements of the two types available on Instagram. This is the different skin colors of legs. Um, in the white paper, I believe, I did go and track down the name of the shoe company that mm. produced this. Uh, this is an ad for those shoes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you'll see they put the at blackstagram underscore underscore. That was the name of the Instagram account. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, in the original image, like that doesn't yeah, appear. Correct. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Gosh. one thing I wanted to do, but yes. wasn't sure, like, I, I didn't have time, but I, I was curious, like, you know, reaching out to some of the people who were targeted, um, hey, your image was appropriated in this way, what do you think of it? Yeah. I think that's uh, something that, you know, I was curious what, you know, what, what people thought when they were appropriated in that way. Yeah, um, correct. I did wind up having a Twitter interaction with um, the gentleman behind uh, the, the real advocacy organization Black Guns Matter, which the IRA created a fake page, you know, of and I... Uh, wow. Yeah, so, so they, were, they did, they liberally stole things from um, brands, small businesses and, and other entities and um, it was hard to, you know, as you're tracing back the original content, you're wondering like, did they actually reach out and ask permission? 
to what extent people know who they were dealing with. Correct. They were just yeah, masquerading yeah. as a black media advocacy organization with a big following. So you would think if somebody such as that reached out to you and said, "Can I use your image to tell our, you know, to tell our cultural story, our shared, uh, our shared values?" That people would be receptive to that. And that's, I think, where things continue to head. Um, and that's a that's a that's a challenge. There's so many variations. Someone can make a fan page that's positive. Someone can make an anti this page. Um, but then when you kind of act as that page without even talking and asking for that page's permission, and you're trying to like field their yep. like all that type of stuff, this is where you can get a little um, scary as well. I want to hit this. This is the um, comparative engagement Instagram total engagement. The top yeah, that, that again. You see that like that pretty sharp drop off on Instagram. They were more successful. Um, in terms of audience growth and engagement with the black community on Facebook, it was more successful with the conservative targeted pages. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so feminism tag is number four on there. So you, you can see that they, they did a little bit of a better job, but. Um, yeah, at Blackstreet, their liberal page always kind of appears somewhere down, you know. The Lower. very end of the top uh, of the top twenty. Twenty-eight million total interactions on Blackstagram. Eighteen yeah. million on American <clears throat> veterans. Blackstagram, I think, objectively showed up in a number of um, you know as we were trying to um, a, a friend of mine. We had a whole bunch of conversations because he was much more of a skeptic that this could have had any impact, uh, and he went and ran the numbers looking at some of these accounts relative to. Um, authentic media yeah. and did find that that one um, kind of made it into the top 10 or top 20 of Instagram accounts, you know. Top 10 or 20. Well, targeting, sorry, targeting that community. Oh, targeting uh, that, at that community time. Yeah. at that time, this got into We've the top We've been trying to figure out what wow. we can use to extrapolate out from that, like what was an objective success sure, um, sure. relative to the mainstream real American media uh, operation. Uh, that kind of, that research is still going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then here's this uh, similar mosaic um, that you made. Mm -hmm. And then this one is for um, all beautiful visualizations accounts. are credit Jonathan Albright. Um, this is Shout uh, Jonathan. yep. This is the hundred. So they had 133 Instagram accounts, and this was just sort of sized by follower account. 133 um, Instagram accounts. Okay, 81 yeah. Facebook pages, 3,800 Twitter accounts. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. And um, and this is by size, so you can tell the black screen. The ones in the center are a little yep, bit bigger. Yep, just count. And then here's the mosaic again. The um, the next another one jawbreaker is the jawbreaker mosaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can tell that there's the the um, the big. They're a little bit. Yeah, they're not as. There were a lot more um, posts. No, it was just more evenly distributed. I think more evenly the, distributed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the next one is the media mirage. Which oh, that was a yeah. yeah that was a real. Um, so the way that this came to be. So um, if you want to ascertain whether something points to something else, you've got either they shout out the name of the page in the text, um, or they have the brand mark in the image, uh -huh. and so looking at a combination of. Um, the post is owned by, um, okay, let me, let me walk through this. So in this particular case, you have Pan-African Roots Move, which is a square, and the squares are Facebook pages, uh, and the arrow is going this direction, which means it uh, shares content from the page Black Excellence. So we were mm. saying that mm. Pan-African Roots Move was pointing people to Black Excellence, which is another one of their pages, encouraging people 
to go pay attention to the content on black excellence. So this was looking at, wow, from the Facebook pages, this was a real challenge to do, and I know it's like, hideously ugly because the high centrality accounts in this particular case um, were uh, you know were, were sharing out to the majority of the community and in turn sharing uh, sharing back to but what this was showing was ways in which the cloud shaped things were things that they did not own oh, and the clouds were not owned in right the, the clouds were not owned the by them the squares, squares and the parallelograms were owned by yeah them. this okay. is this is something that i think at some point needs to be redone by an artist by col <laughs> with coloration. but it's interesting with the arrows like this was you my said, working document actually where i just you know i was like all right how do i uh, how do i convey as we were as we were thinking about like ways in which they were internetworking their pages, both with real, authentic black media. Um, and again, then I would sit there and I would run down all of these, because if you look at something where they're tagging in um, some of these pages mm. so repetitively, yeah. the question becomes, is that also their page, right? Yeah, that's hard And to so that's where you get at um, which, you know, how do you know if the page is still up that presumably to me meant that Facebook had looked at it and decided it got to stay up some of the pages like this one 17th soldier four it's a, that was an Instagram yeah. account actually did disappear it's it's it not did, there yeah. anymore uh, it was never announced as internet research agency but it no yeah, longer exists um, and there are a couple more in there but there are definitely Gosh. some where you just look at it and you, and you try to figure out like um, what am I? You know, what am I looking at? Is this real? So they can make they can make a post that then redirects people to another page, and yeah. then they can tag a bunch of other pages, some real, some their exactly. own. Exactly. And so then you can move people to different. Yeah, yes. this is this is a complicated process. So that was of like real a, and fake accounts. I think this 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 took me a couple of weeks of just going. So we had the um, the summary stats are largely run by query the um, the. Again, the, the, the cleaning of the data is somewhat manual the, um, in, in terms of like, you've got to look it over a bunch of times, you've got to come up with schema. After that, you can do summary stats relatively quickly. Looking at this, you've got the image, again, the image recognition, the, the clustering that can tell you some stuff, the text that can tell you some stuff. Um, but because this was such a sensitive topic, we did, I did, go through all of these manually. And so I went through every single one. There were about 67,000 Facebook memes, and I just sat there going through them Damn. one after another after another because also you want to understand like what are you missing what should the what should the auto um, what should the algorithmic analysis have conveyed to you that perhaps it did not or what do you as a human learn from doing this analysis that a computer does not and and so you know how does that inform um, development of technology for for this purpose over time you know in the future and things like that so this was uh, this was unfortunately painstakingly manual. <laughs> well, and, and another, th another thought. Is Which also leaves it open to it. errors, though. That's the problem, right? Which is, you know, you're sitting there and you're staring at the stuff, and so you're like, um, how, you know, the, the overall core takeaway is 100% solid. Um, I hope to God my arrows are solid. <laughs> this is where I. The, the, um, another thought about this that is so crazy is that this is what we were talking about all together before we went live was the need for critical thinking. And so if you are a real account, if you're a cloud here, you're a real account and you see a piece of content come from an IRA <coughs> or from anything that seems to be just one of those fake farm accounts, that then 
it, you can't immediately just be triggered to want to just reshare that content. But yeah. to be able to like double click in, identify who that account actually is, where they're from, are they real? Can I go to their URL? Do they actually have clients or customers or employees? Yeah, All I mean that one, Omission is a clothing store. Um, with something like that, you can kind of run down, you go to the website, does it have an address? Where is the address? Does it appear to actually be shipping clothing? Are there pictures on the Instagram of people who appear to be real people wearing the clothing? Stuff, yeah, yeah so, yes. there, you, so you do wind up in these um, uh, very human investigative processes. My assumption is that that's what's happening within the tech platforms as well. That we use a combination of um, algorithms to flag things, but then that's not enough. Then it becomes a, um, a researcher process um, and then you of course don't want to have just one researcher do it because that could be bias that could be sure. mis you know, there could be mistakes made yeah. um, so that's where you get at to what extent can we replicate this algorithmically generate network maps using and I, I don't know if you included some of my other network maps but, yeah we have some of, those um, later. Some of the other yeah. ones are purely algorithmically generated this one uh, was you know do both done by algorithm and then done by people yep. um, and that's why it's ugly. <laughs> and then the, the, the next one is the Facebook versus Instagram <coughs> stats in total. Yep. Do you want me to get you more water? No, I, I think I'm okay. Think Sorry, okay. allergies in San no Francisco. You want some cough drops? No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's I can't ever eat a cough drop in a podcast again. <laughs> that meme. That meme. <laughs> I know. Okay, so the Facebook versus Instagram stats. Yeah. Um, okay, Th the total amount of, of likes on Facebook. Uh, 37,000, 37 million, excuse me. Yep. On Instagram, 183 million likes. Mm -hmm. Total amount of shares on Facebook, 30 million shares. So total interactions in the hundreds of millions across both platforms. Yeah, and followers in the millions also. Um, yep. We were just curious about, Instagram wasn't getting talked about in the news very much. Facebook was, and so, um, as we had this set of Instagram data, we wanted to look at what was Instagram's role? How valuable did they think? Was Instagram like a second class citizen where they were like, no, it's all about Facebook? No, it turned out Instagram was very much a, a core priority. Yeah. Um, and they did get significant, solid engagement on Instagram as well. Yep, yep, okay. And then the next one um, is ad spending on Facebook and Instagram. And this is per target landing page. Mm -hmm. So in rubles, yeah. Um, and it's about 70 rubles is a dollar-ish, something like that. Yeah, I, I went and dredged up. I think it was in the 60s in 2016. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it's something around um, about, uh, on the highest spends was 10,000? That was uh, across the Black Matters properties. Across the Black Matters. So it was yeah. about a couple thousand for the mm -hmm. highest spend per, okay. This is, um, again, with this, we were interested in click-through rate, we were interested in cost per click, we were interested in, um, were they directing people to outside landing pages like URLs? Were they directing them to Facebook pages or Instagram accounts? Um, the ads were such a small part of the operation. It was, the, you use the ads as a means to an end. So the ads get talked about a lot, especially because this is where you get that, um, it was only $100,000 and um, you know millions were spent on ads in the election. Yes, that's true. Uh, the way that we think about ads though is ads direct people to your page. Once people are on your page, you have them as a receptive audience yes. and you can continue to engage with them over time. And so um, in the interest of summary stats, you know, 
worked through all the ads as well. <laughs> yep, and then um, and then the next one is just ads by spend as well. So then this was um, a per ad copy, how many impressions, what was the click-through rate, um, what was the spend there. Um, and so we kind of mentioned that, yeah, 67 rubles for a dollar. That's yep. 1,649 US dollars spent on the high spent ad. Yeah, so um, they were not, they were not I mean, and then to put that in context, um, 1,600 bucks on an ad is not a lot of money. But then, yeah. like you said, when they land on the page, what happens? How much yeah, of their cognition is overwhelmed by that? and how much do they end up being digging deeper right. and, yeah. and their click-through rates were good um, and that's uh, even that's you know, a good click-through rate yeah five yeah. to five yeah. percent to 13 right so you run ads right yeah, yeah. yeah those are, <laughs> so those are like, good click-through nice rates job. <laughs> damn yeah, yeah, yeah. holy cow damn so it, and that the high click-through rates are likely because it is such a it's good polarizing yeah. post yeah the more polarizing, yep. um, the more clickbaity, etc. So got we it. gotta really um, renegotiate our social fabric away from towards nuance. All right, let's hit Twitter. Mm -hmm. So the next one, Ronnie, is our Twitter, and so this one is um, just an example of one of the posts that was oh, on Twitter. Oh yeah. Yes, and this so, is okay. So yeah, this came yeah. out of the white paper. Oh gosh, what um, that was yeah. So the 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 tweets were. Um, I am trying to remember why I included this one, honestly, or why you picked this one. Is this I, because it was the... I think um, I picked this one because it was such an... Um, it was oh, they such Instagrammed a, a tweet was what they did there. That's That, I believe, I'm 99% sure that's an Instagram tweet. They Instagrammed a tweet. Yeah, because okay. this is the post. The, this, and it's this a long, text. correct, yes, long and text post. Yes, I am trying to remember why I... I think this was... Um, Oh, this was the Russians talking about how Donald Trump Jr. had every right to meet with a Russian lawyer. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, how, and how this is like, the, the comparison is also kind of mm -hmm. like, um, in a sense, like uh, just that I thought, I included this because I thought that it was kind of one of those like, oh, if you think this is not okay, but you think this is okay. It's the whataboutism. Yeah, the whataboutism was there, but, but it also I think I probably included it originally because I was trying to grab examples um, there were a couple of interesting things here. First, the English is so fascinating to me because um, I studied Russian yeah. in college for a number of years. And just the, as somebody who took a second language later in life, um, one of the things I always wondered was, do I speak in any way like a normal speaker speaks? And the answer is almost certainly not, right? <laughs> you, you sound like you're like, you know, kind of educated after the fact. And so this is like a nuanced argument structured in an extremely like, um, here is my declarative statement at the top. Here are my three supporting points. Here's my closing sentence at the bottom. And so you see these like, first of all, secondly, third of all, moreover, they loved moreover. That always, that appeared in so many of these posts. <laughs> Meanwhile, this is like a, a post pretending to be, um, I don't, God, unfortunately, I don't remember off the top of my head um, which one this, this came from, but um, this is supposedly the words of a red-pilled American communicating, you know, in, in like proper essay format about, why it's totally cool that Donald Trump met with Russian lawyers and yeah. every now and then there were these like absurd moments where you know they would write these um, you see them actually kind of move away from long-form English because there are tells they're tells yeah and sure. so you see now shorter form shorter or more interestingly um, one of the things I wondered about was some of the stuff in the data set, just on the text, just as you read the text, this is again where a human has a different experience of text than a machine, right? Um, 
I was reading it and I was saying, uh, and, and machines I'm sure can, can calculate fluency metrics and things. Uh, we didn't bother with that, but um, some poster, I'm like, God, this is just straight up colloquial American English. And so I would type that stuff into a search engine and it would usually return a cribbed post from somewhere else. So sometimes that was like local news. Mm -hmm. And so there would be some obscure local news site. And so they would grab the local news, um, like the lead, and then they would use the lead over uh, unrelated sure, meme sure. because then you're, you're kind of breaking that, um, the tell of, uh, of an axe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay, and then the next one is the um, Twitter bot coordination over time. Okay, yeah, so so here you had, out again, on, now you have a, on the y-axis, you I have got the, the axis right in this one. Yeah, you, you have the <laughs> user, Twitter user number out of the 3,800. Yes. And then the amount of, of green that you see is the amount of posts that they're making over time. Yeah, we were, we were actually looking, um, we were looking just at, like I said, we didn't spend as much time on Twitter as, um, as, our, as our other counterpart team did, um, looking at automation. And these are basically accounts tweeting. Um, Damn, that is so So it, it was just looking at, yeah, so that, that was the point of this, was actually just to look at uh, what did the, you know, could we assess whether they had amplifier bots in addition to um, uh, sock puppet bots. And so, so the difference, yeah. Yeah, how do you think about personas on Twitter? Some of the, the, the intention of a persona account is to engage directly one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, other accounts are just there to, uh, to, to get those likes and retweet numbers up, yeah, so. Okay, and then the next one is the top individual performing content on Twitter. And so this was retweeted over 100,000 times, the top photo in the Yep, inspirational news stories. Yep. Um, inspirational news stories and um, related to, uh, um, there were a lot of inspirational stories about um, if particularly true, young black men. It's, it's, they are, they are true. So I'm yeah. wondering if this is I, no, true. No, no, I went back and Googled it's actually. It's okay that it got retweeted on Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, okay, and, and okay. that's the, um, that's where you get at the, the idea nuance. that, well, it's more how do we engender feelings of pride and make people want to amplify, you know, uh, people will amplify positive stories. Even on, so if you're growing an audience and you want to do it without ads, one of the ways that you do that is you create engaging content, people uh, amplify it, and then their friends see it for free, right? So you use your audience to beget more of an audience um, without having to pay for it. And so what you see is a lot of um, inspirational stories, particularly among the pages that we're targeting the black community, about inspirational stories that the media won't show you. And so it'll say like and share, like and share, like and share like so that the world knows about and then the name of the person. And I did go back and um, Google for some of these stories, you know, make sure they're real, yeah. see how the mainstream media reported on them, see if the mainstream media reported on them, try to ascertain like where they got this stuff from. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's legitimate stuff. These are all legitimate feelings that people have. Of course, what they're doing it for is, um, to grow their audience. <laughs> because as you amass mm. your audience, you have more people that you can influence. Oh. So you take your page, and while your page is, let's say, positive 75, 80% mm. of the time, there are gonna be times when you wanna activate your audience. Oh. And so you grow your audience just through um, sometimes engaging stories. In the black community, it was a lot of engaging and very positive stories. On the right-leaning pages, it was very angry stories. So it was stories of like, share how this veteran has gotten screwed. 
um, share how this veteran is not getting resources, but this immigrant is. Um, the police, uh, the pro-police pages, though, again, you would see these, um, you know, amazing stories of bravery. A canine, right? Beautiful police dog, um, like and share. Boom, goes viral, right? Because people share things that make them have feelings. They don't share, you know, chronological assessments yeah, yeah. about the legality of Donald Trump meeting a Russian lawyer. That post isn't going to go anywhere. Um, but posts about, look at this inspirational kid, or this inspirational dog, or this hero, um, there is still a part of us that wants those stories. Damn, you can scrape for the most <laughs> popular, you can, you can parse for the most popular content and then amplify that to act, to like build your audience that way. And then you can embed kind of the ones that you want to kind of parasitically yes. go out and make the horrible influences that yes. you want. This is some crazy stuff that you can get, um, that you can build bots to do. Um, okay, so this is the hashtags link communities. This is one of the. Oh yeah, this is the algorithmically. Uh, so this yes. is a, this is. Um, this is well visualized. <laughs> thank you, because a human didn't do it. I didn't make that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sit there drawing <laughs> arrows and writing <laughs> writing stuff in this one, as you can tell. Um, that's that's because this is um, this is just a hashtag analysis, and um, and this is purely text based. So we are not looking at. Um, we can we can position so the. I know that people probably won't be able to see this, but there are red dots and there are blue dots. Ron will zoom in a bit. Okay, if we so can. red dots are the names of their accounts, and then blue dots are the hashtags that they were using. So we did try okay. to at least position okay, pages cool. within the within the cloud cluster. And so here. you can see the illegal immigration was a page. Well, so, so yeah, so right, wall up is uh -huh. a page, and illegal immigration was one a of the, tag. Yeah, sorry, it's one of the. It's, okay, it's always see. hard to visualize mass quantities of information. Liberty Rising's a page, and right. then it's using the takes funny, insta funny. Yes, and so what you okay. see if you if you angle down here, toward the, bottom left towards yeah, the cop block, toward the cop block stuff. Left, left, yep, there yes. it is. Yes. Okay. So this is where you see um, things like police. Um, you know how uh, way, ways in which police kind of um, unifies the pro, so they're using the hashtag police for the pro-police stuff, and then also for the Black Lives Matter Whoa. stuff. And so yeah. if you were just on Instagram, one of the ways that people consume on Instagram, rather than just following accounts, some people follow hashtags. Yeah. And so if you follow a hashtag, um, you can create feelings of tension depending on what you're pushing into the hashtag. So if one person is following hashtag police because they're the wife of a police officer, and if one person is following hashtag police because they're part of a community that's had like issues with officer-involved shootings, you're having a very different experience when you go into that w with, with why you're looking for that hashtag. And so yeah. there is an opportunity at that point to create some of the, uh, the tension and the more direct uh, conflict by pushing uh, opposing content into the same hashtag. And so that's what you see when you look at the hashtag analysis we were looking at. Um, so we need to make memes of nuance and push them into the tags that are being looked at by both parties. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the solutions, Renee. I know, I know. I, I, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the nuance meme culture. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so the visualization here, <coughs> I, I like that point that you can see if you look at a tag that you can see both um, the um, sides being exacerbated mm -hmm. under one tag. And then let's go to, um, now we're going to switch from the Twitter activity to the YouTube activity. 
which was crazy when I saw this that out of the 1100 ish oh, pieces yeah. of content that like 90% plus were up for um, black comedian it was yeah. like police violence stuff yes yeah. almost exclusively um, analyzing YouTube data is tough so first of all we just did basic summary stats for a lot of this um, looking at the uh, we had channel titles we had um, video titles and then we had the videos so there was no metadata so I don't have any engagement stats to discuss on this mm -hmm. um, YouTube just simply didn't provide it it was not given to yeah. us so we couldn't analyze it uh, but yeah it was overwhelmingly focused on uh, black Americans and then Pinterest it was another platform yeah so that wasn't given to sissy uh, that was something that I had found when I was looking for um, okay so back in 2017 the first conversations about election interference were actually related to fake news and fake news meant literally news that was fake meaning uh, Pope endorses Donald Trump Megyn Kelly fired from Fox News Hillary Clinton dead of pneumonia body double put in her place right so just blatantly false BS um, that was the original conversation about what happened in election 2016 and that conversation happened in 2017 in around June 2017 um, media organizations, I think it might have been Think Progress, it might have been Media Matters, broke the first story that one of the largest Black Lives Matter pages on Facebook was believed to be a Russian troll page. And we had had a sense that there were, we knew that there were fake Russian pages. Adrian Chan had identified that back in 2015. The fact that they had been deployed in the context of the US election was not really widely understood until mid 2017. And at the time, if you'll recall, there was this adversarial relationship almost with the platforms where there was still very much this idea that like fake news couldn't have influenced an election, mm -hmm. the Russian bot problem is overstated. So those of us who were on the outside were actually trying to find their content so we could see what did it really look like. And there was this kind of breakthrough where um, Jonathan Albright found a CrowdTangle, which is an analytics platform for looking at how information spreads. Uh, and really began to get a sense of like what the pages were and how they had operated. And once we had the names of the pages, those of us who were interested in finding this content, because the platforms had already taken it down by this point, um, were going and were, were trying to suss it out. Uh, and I found some on Pinterest and I found the, um, the United Muslims page content. They had made a Pinterest board for it. And they had made Pinterest boards for a couple of them. They weren't trying to share the content on Pinterest. They were using Pinterest almost as like a file, like a file cabinet for the memes, just like, you know, kind of mm -hmm. get it in there. Mm -hmm. um, at, at least I assume that's why it was there. It was just kind of limited to a board, and uh, and this account had a few different boards, and so we were able to um, to find some of the stuff. And the purpose of including this was to show that it was bigger than the big three tech platforms. Yep, and then Reddit is the next one, yeah. so then there's use on um, Reddit as well. Reddit was so fantastic in the sense that um, they chose to leave it all up there, so... They uh, left everything up. Everything is still live. Reddit left everything it was, up. Sorry, not live, everything is... Um, uh, if you go to that link with a special post, yeah. um, you'll see Steve's post talking about the 944 accounts they found, and you can actually still go and you can see the posts. And so he, so Reddit does their own analysis showing that um, these were where most of the stuff was posted. Um, and uh, An interesting way there's, to do you it. can also go in and you can see the 
Um, to leave the... You can see the karma, up. the karma scores for the accounts too. You can see too. the karma yeah. scores. Just the fact that it was left up, the 944 accounts with the um, posts, the fact that it was left up. Yeah, was, uh, well, I think it's because there wasn't much personal data in there, so they didn't have the same constraints that Facebook and okay. Instagram, they had no pictures of people's faces. faces. Yeah. And then the next one is Tumblr. So then Tumblr is another platform activity. Yep. Um, and and then Tumblr did the same thing. They made a, they made a so, so sort of similar to Reddit, they put up a transparency report where they disclosed. So this information was not provided to the Senate. It was just kind of uh, put out to the world. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, there were these uh, don't shoot us was related to do not shoot dot us, which was a website. Uh, which was related to another account called Hands Up Don't Shoot. So they're, again, they're networking their brands across the internet. Uh, and um, yeah, this was the... Wow, what an extensive campaign. Name your Pokemon with a US police brutality victim's name. Find a gym yeah. near the crime scene, capture it, make a screenshot of your Pokemon owning the gym, email it to us, and win Amazon gift cards. Um, okay, the recycling of top performing pages is also um, the next slide. Mm -hmm. And so on this one, we have things like um, the repurposing of content that gets viral. And this was the Army of Jesus page. And the like if you believes, keep scrolling if you don't. Oh yeah, they loved this image. Um, <clears throat> they used it three or four times. And they had another one with a slightly uh, different looking Jesus. Um, they just, well, because again, it's like if you believe, if you like, you're reinforcing that you know, you're reinforcing your engagement with the page and the account, which means that the algorithm, the you know, either you're ranked either. So, um, Jesus owes me money. <laughs> <laughs> it was the um, the algorithms are like determine they're they're determining what you see, and so if you're engaging with an Instagram account, it's going to show you more. Uh, memes from that Instagram account in your feed. You're just communicating to the algorithm that you want to see more see stuff. More stuff. Yeah. So on Facebook, liking something pushes it into your friend's feed. Correct. On Instagram, yeah. liking stuff signals that that they should uh, that they should you know that they should show you more from that account. And this is that butterfly effect. You You're teaching know. the algorithm. Yeah. You're teaching the algorithm, and you don't know which feeds it's going into after right. yours. Um, the next one is the rebranding memes across pages. Yeah. So we talked. This is this is the kind of stuff that comes out of image clustering. Um, this is crazy that you just just change the the logo of yeah. the page and I know yeah and just like that you you're hitting the masses more easily yeah um, okay and then uh, next is the this was crazy I just want to spend a little yeah the this is the weirdest thing re, you can reper you can build an audience kind of like we were saying earlier you can build an audience with content that people like 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 and then all of a sudden you can be like the Jesus yeah <laughs> or Texas versus which is such secede. a remarkable like cultural gap here in that <laughs> people who want women are like bacon are not the audience that I would assume to seamlessly transition into Jesus memes well, the, but yeah. what do I know you know <laughs> yeah maybe they had some drop off there but yeah. what 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 I do want to highlight with this though is um the if you look now Facebook will show you that pages pages that have been renamed for just this just just this purpose right wow so I don't know that they do it on Instagram um they but do I do show know you that the on Facebook so Facebook now has page transparency features yeah. that are partly a result of wow. the fallout from this uh the, from this operation which is to say, like, you used to not know that the Bernie Sanders meme page you're following used to be, you know, 
a Kermit the Frog page sure, or whatever, sure. right? Or like something else that was, um, you know, kind of audience hacked to get to a certain size. size. Yeah, and then wow. again, that certain size conveys a sense of credibility, credibility. a sense of quality, and yeah. then they um, turn it to, yeah. to something else. And yeah, so it was, this, was, this was the weirdest thing though. I got what? the data set, and like, I, so I said, I, I explained the whole cleaning thing, so I'll say this here, but the, um, so I'm looking at the image number, so all of the posts are, are, are indexed, and so I'm looking at the um, number that matches the text content, it says Army of Jesus, and then I'm looking at this, there were some like seriously raunchy Kermit memes, and I was like, what is going on? My first thought was, I was like, did we screw something? So I'm going back to the original source, you know, the original, CSV files, trying to figure out why this is, and it's real. Um, th this may be a tactic that's used more in the future, which is crazy, the repurposing, but the, also doing things like e-commerce, selling merchandise, um, also running things like a digital marketing shop, the next asset, Ron, is doing things like promoting people to get involved <coughs> in the causes. The stickers, the, the stickers really blew me away. Like those are really good stickers. They're cute. They're it's little panthers. That's right. Um, they were made by a pretend account named Melanie Panther, um, and Melanie Panther was a consultant for Black Matters, and so they touted her work. And um, I think you could, I could still find these available for download when I was doing this project. I don't know if they're if they're down yet. And then the next asset also shows the direct outreach. Always be recruiting. So this was literally the recruiting to the pages. Yeah, so we've talked a ton about the social media operation, but ultimately, if you wanna like create, um, you know, create tension on the next level, you drive people into the streets. And so there were about 81 different events that pushed people into the streets. And literally Facebook events, and um, you know, some of them were their own events that they created, some of them were events that they amplified, and so many of the events were protests. and they wanted people to go and to document the protests also. Yeah. Um, so they, there would be, so these are everything from like, come create content for us, come design for us, and then you would see, uh, hey, can you go photograph our protest? Can you go YouTube or you know, live stream wow. our protest? And so they're, um, they're bringing in real people to, uh, to act as vectors, um, both for, uh, you know, kind of in-street action, and then also people to, to document in-stream action. It's interesting if you think about it in the context of like pseudo-events, you know, the idea that um, there are events that are created wholly for um, media consumption, and, and the way that they're using that capability, the capability to leverage online communities to create real-world discord to yeah. document it so that they can then like make hay of it back online, and yeah. that is a very interesting cycle. To look at as we think about yes, yes. how real world and, and online world um, propaganda. A bot kind of can make you go into the streets and go and do something and then video tape it representing that bot's organization and then put it on your accounts. And it's a crazy yeah. cycle now. Um, okay, and I just want to quickly mention there, did you guys use. Um, Optical character recognition. Yes. What was, yeah. Oh, so what a mess did, that was. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say that OCR is not. Um, it doesn't always yield particularly meaningful results, um, which was one of the reasons why I went through and did so much manual review. Uh, it, it's just it's hard to get 
good data out of it, and we did it. And we similarly chunked the YouTube videos into stills and um, tried to see what was oh. worth extracting from that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you try all manner of exploratory analyses to decide what's worth doing. Turned out the OCR data wasn't very useful. Wasn't very useful. But we tried. Interesting. Um, and then the, um, the mimetic propagation in, in the impacts, like the mimetic spread. Mm -hmm. I like how you called this, um, the three words were propagation, persistence, and impact. That is a DARPA um, framework. Okay. And so that link goes to a DARPA paper on persistence, propagation, and impact. I, I wanted to try to um, both credit, obviously, prior art, but also explain how research done from 2012 to 2015 on social media manipulation, propaganda, um, that those frameworks that we were thinking about in 2012 did kind of uh, manifest in reality. And so how do, you know, both from the standpoint of what should we have learned and also what did we learn and how do we tie that knowledge base back to, uh, to where we are today. Yeah, so that paper is fantastic. I mean, I highly recommend reading it. I'm pretty sure it links to a slide deck. I think I linked to the slide deck just so that people could go through and understand. Persistence, propagation, and impact are persistence, when we talk in terms of a meme, it's like, does the image have staying power? Um, pro propagation is how far does it go? How, yep. do, how do people evolve it and, um, and spread it? And then impact is, um, that's the hardest thing to quantify always, but it's uh, does the community begin to absorb the meme? Like what impact does the meme have yeah. on the community? In this case, the images here are from what I believe to be a real person just running a extremely small um, black media page and during the time period during which this operation was happening, um, this page flagged for us in part because we were trying to find these images elsewhere on the internet and realizing that this person had pulled from three different uh, internet research agency accounts and reshared them and that was very interesting to me because it does show, and this is again an N of one, but uh, it, it shows that for at least some people who operate their own pages, which have their own audiences, they did go, they did take that content, and they were clearly following multiple pages. So that whole interwoven mess diagram that we talked about earlier, that is exactly what the purpose yeah. of doing that was, right? And so here, um, this page really threw me for a loop where I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a real person. I'm pretty sure this is not Russian. I don't know for sure, but um, and yet here it is, incorporating ideas and incorporating collateral from not one but three different pages in a, in a relatively short period of time. So yeah. it's interesting to think, you know, a lot of the question about impact is like, did it swing the election? I think the more interesting questions about impact are, how is it internalized and, and um, how does it transform the way we think about ourselves and our communities and our country? Yep, yep. And then the posts about the in-group identity, we've touched on this here, just some more examples. Yeah. Um, time to make America believe again. Ignore for Satan team, like for Jesus team. I mean, The wow. English isn't great there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. Stuff like that. Um, the suppression narratives is the next one. Um, I won't vote, will you? Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. I'm with her. Thanks for the vote team. Yeah, so, so the operation became very political um, late 2015 when the Republican primary was heating up and then, of course, through the general election. Um, and again, the overwhelming majority of it was to erode support for Hillary Clinton among communities that would have been inclined to vote for her, such as 
you know, traditionally speaking, the black community and, uh, and, and women and feminists, yeah. And then do not, do not vote for oppressors. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in here. Um, this is one I just want to highlight um, quickly is that um, being patriotic, if you look at some of these memes, you can start telling um, maybe in the, uh, go to the bottom right, uh, sorry, middle right, Ron. Um, if you zoom to the middle right, you can see this is the last year of Obama's presidency. Like and share if then makes you happy. And so that's a classic um, slip in uh, an accent with Russia and the U.S. Yeah. Um, that versus then. There's there's a um, I don't want to go into all the tells because like we <laughs> it's because uh, a lot of them still tell. But um, yeah. but there is uh, yeah this was this was like the during the primaries they were adamantly pro Trump. Um, they liked Mark. Uh, they liked um, Rand Paul for like a, a hot second and before moving to Trump. Um, but this was just looking at how political narratives uh, clustered and yeah. Yep. And then what we can also try and uncover what, why, right? Why the pro-Trump? You know, what's the reason why? Yep. Um, the next one's Heart of Texas, which you mentioned at the beginning. Oh, there this was, is yeah. This was just actually just from like a clustering standpoint. We were looking at uh, flags and. Um, Flags and state images, yeah. And what's crazy about this is that um, to do something like a Texit or a Cal Exit, right? California Exit or Texas Exit is a massive, crazy thing that, like, you they could break really a like state off. They like secessionist movements because yeah. that's how you start the crumbling of a yeah. of the way literal, that, yeah, literal division, division yeah. and crumbling. Um, promoting um, conspiracies is the next one. Who killed Seth Rich? Also, this is not Hillary Clinton. Where is um, that's the next one, Ronnie? Um, who killed Seth Rich, and this is not Hillary Clinton, where is the real one, things like this. And then... Yeah, we talked about that. That's the, uh, I didn't believe the media, so I became one. And then th that, that was... That last um, one on the left is... Targeted to the left. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's something that people do need to understand. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of the idea that things like media erosion target right-wing audiences, but no, no, they did it for everyone. It was everyone. Uh, the idea that you cannot trust the mainstream media, you cannot, you know, so even liberals, the uh, L with the bird on it was a page called Born Liberal. Um, the people will believe what the media tells them they believe. Yeah. That's an Orwell. This is, so even stuff like this can just um, deteriorate, like you said, in general, the belief in media. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, in kind of that same culture of the calling everything fake news, um, it's what is real. Who do we trust to deliver us a real um, truth? And right. this has become a, a main thing that we d uh, converse about. Then the next one is about um, disparaging CNN. CNN got special attention on the right-leaning pages. But I mean, this again is, um it's it's a this is like a chicken egg thing, right? I mean, they're just taking the narrative that is actually really out there and amplifying, amplifying, amplifying. And then um, the this one was the uh, IR, the IRA socializing WikiLeaks. That was really interesting. We get a lot of okay. So for anyone, um, so the so as I mentioned, I was not in any way asked to look at the idea of collusion. Uh, that is purely a that was a Mueller investigation, not, not, not part of my role with the Senate Intelligence Committee at all. So, um, but there was this hack and leak operation that happened. And if yeah. you go and you look at the Mueller report, it gets a whole treatment. The first section in the report is the Internet Research Agency, of which much is redacted because a lot of those folks are indicted now. Uh, the second page is, uh, sorry, the second section is this uh, assessment of the GRU. 
So the Internet Research Agency is a social media agency that is not an official part of the Russian government. The GRU is. It is Russian military intelligence, so it's kind of the equivalent of the American Defense Intelligence Agency, <laughs> maybe. Um, what, what happened is they hacked the Democratic, um, the, the DNC, and they hacked the Clinton campaign. So two separate hacks. And then using the Guccifer persona and the DC Leaks persona, they leak this information and it's kind of laundered through uh, WikiLeaks and other, you know, other means of, of getting the information out to the public. Um, that potentially, above all, was, I think, in some ways, um, phenomenally impactful because those leaked emails became the story. Yeah. And so they timed them for things like immediately following, um, you know, immediately following press moments that were not so great for Donald Trump. Uh, but they also did this socialization where, uh, you know, how do you bolster support for WikiLeaks? How do you... Um, reiterate that Julian Assange is a noble freedom fighter, that uh, WikiLeaks is, you know, a, a, you know, a staunch defender of freedom, and um, how do you make people trust that cache of documents? And so what you see is leading into the internet, to, the, to those dumps, um, these posts come out sort of socializing the idea of uh, Assange as a, as a great guy and, and these documents is, um, you know, very important. And it's interesting because we don't know, we still don't know, to what extent those two operations were connected. Mm -hmm. So all we have is um, what you can dismiss as coincidental if you're so inclined, but um, what we do have is these posts in which they are stating, you know, bolstering support for, uh, for Assange, and they do it in the black community, the left-leaning community, and the right community. So there were certain narratives that go out uniformly to uh, all American mm. targets. So while there's sowing division around race or who is American or who America is for, there is uh, unanimity that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks are good mm -hmm. uh, and that U.S. intervention in Syria is bad. Those are the two things that yeah. are yeah. almost universally um, that's the next Inflected, one. That's yeah. the very next one. So this is uh, anti-war opposition, Syria. Anti yeah, they leaned opposition. into that for the left-leaning pages. Again, that's not surprising. Um, there are large parts of the American left that, you know, particularly Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, Jill Stein supporters, who have very strong uh, anti-war uh, beliefs, and that is a driving force behind their vote. And so they, um, so they leverage those to to reach that audience. And the next one is another anti-war, and this is that. Oh, that was, um, yeah, that was targeting veterans. That was like mocking the idea that um, ISIS was, uh, um, so sometimes the memes didn't necessarily, the visuals didn't match the text. So the text is telling you that ISIS is our real enemy, not Bashar al-Assad. And so they're trying to, again, like redirect. Uh, why are we, you know, why is the US messing around in Syria? ISIS is the, is the thing. But this meme, of course, has nothing really to do with, um, Bashar al-Assad, this is just saying that the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, aircraft carriers sure. totally dominate ISIS's uh, yeah. little truck convoy there. Yep. yep. And then, but redirecting attention away from Bashar al-Assad. Yes. All these types of things are, yeah, yeah, that. Um, leveraging anonymous as well. Yeah, well, um, anonymous is a great, you know, it gets co-opted all the time, right? It, because, because of what it is, it's very nature. It's like this independent hacktivist collective. Anyone can kind of self-declare and, 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 uh, and participate. Um, but it also provides an interesting opportunity for them to kind of piggyback on that hacktivist freedom fighting brand um, 
and since the assumption is that anonymous are anonymous, the idea that some random anonymous page springs up and, and starts memeing is not something that you would necessarily give a second glance to. Yep, yep. And then we have uh, alleged, the alleged voter fraud as well. This was also another thing that puts people into uproar, just mm -hmm. seeing memes like this. Yeah, and they have six different, um, six different voter fraud violations that they're talking about. They're putting this out on Twitter. They're putting it out on um, Were any true? Instagram. Do we know? I think I don't think it was fraud. I, it was um, like the uh, voting machine problems and things like that. Yeah. I think are you know somewhere in America on a given election day, some voting problem. machine is having a problem. A problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but is it purposely being made? Right. Yeah, now, yeah. once you have that screenshot, of course, you can make hay of it, particularly wow. if you've spent... Or synthesize it yourself, digitize that it. True, yeah, that true, that right. too. Um, but you can reach out to your audience and you can amplify this as an example of like, we told you this was going to happen. We told you Hillary was going to steal the election. Now here it is, uh, here it is realized. And then um, the influencing on the Republican Party. This is again. This is oh yeah, that's just the primary stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. So these slides were prepared um, in the course of several briefings uh, for Senate staffers and others. Uh, we're trying to convey quickly as possible. Um, here are things that happened, and it's interesting to convey that, particularly realizing that some of the people who see your briefing are the people who were targeted. Uh, and so trying to figure out how to, um, how to convey the fact that this is, regardless of what you think of uh, President Trump, um, this is a nonpartisan issue and two of the senators who appear in these images who were targeted were Senator Cruz and Senator Rubio. Uh, and so trying to reinforce the universality of this as a problem for America as opposed to a problem for the Democrats or a problem for the Republicans um, yeah. is, I think, one of the reasons why it's so important to, uh, to, try, to, to try to get at this kind of, these, these kinds of narratives. Why was there a pro-Trump slant? These questions. Um, 20, the, the next one is um, in the 2016 um, election, one of the assets, Trump, we need closer relations with Russia, gains Putin's support. This is that um, the United Muslims of America uh, save, uh, support Hillary. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then the next one is uh, also vote for Jill Stein. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, and Russian troll, um, the next one is Russian trolls on Russian trolls. This was kind of at the very... Oh, these were funny. I mean, this is, yeah. yeah, this is like, you can't, you can't not find this at least a little bit, um, a little bit funny. Mommy, there are monsters under my bed. It's probably just the Russians. Um, you know, there's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that one, but that, I mean, that's a great, um, that's a great ad campaign. It's an ad campaign by RT. Um, and they, so the RT ad campaign for a while there in Moscow airport was... Um, <laughs> Missed the plane, lost an election, blame it on us. Yeah, come closer and find out who we're going to hack next. Yeah. Right, I mean, it's, um, you, you, you know. It's yeah, so, th so th this is also the type of stuff that gets people to think of, uh, it's just mocking. It's basically mocking it. The next asset is another um, little bit of mocking yeah. of the idea of Russian interference and propaganda. Um, yep. 
So just the idea of this mocking, it's a reinforcing thing. It's like, oh, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. And if it just keeps circling, then uh, then where's the nuance, right? You've yeah. lost the nuance completely. Um, and just these last two assets, one of them is impeachment narratives, which I thought is another one of those. Yeah. Oh, that was an interesting thing. That surprised me. So the LGBT page, um, you know, of course, was anti-Trump. But more than that, after uh, after the election happened, um, it was interesting to see, oh, this was the born liberal, but the LGBT page said it too. Um, Mike Pence is worse than Donald Trump, so we shouldn't push for impeachment. <laughs> 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 because then we're going to get Mike Pence. Yeah, yeah and so it, was, uh, so it was an interesting way to um, look at how they reworked the narrative following the election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you continue to drive grievances and sow discord and make people feel um, under attack, you know, you're just kind of switching. Prior to the election, it was like reinforcing to the right that they were under attack, so they had to get out and vote because Hillary Clinton was going to steal the election. Immediately after Donald Trump wins the election, the narrative becomes the electoral college is illegitimate. Yep. Um, we need to be protesting in the streets because he stole the election, you know, or, but, but not, you know, the Russians had nothing to do with it simultaneously. Um, and then, well, we don't want them to like, think the guy is guilty of something and move to impeach, so let's talk about how much Mike Pence sucks. Yeah. Yep. And then the last slide is the quantitative numbers on the Trump versus Clinton. Yep. Um, yeah, we made it. Total, yeah. <laughs> uh, summary stats. Yeah, and um, again, it was um, the, uh, just, just kind of, I think it's included in here. I'm not sure that summary stats on mentions is really the defining narrative um, totally as you look in aggregate at the at the campaign but what we wanted to get at was the idea that this was not at least partially about the election at the moments in which that mattered like that just wasn't true it wasn't the biggest part by any stretch it was a small percentage of the content they were much more focused on American society uh, but they were, they did have a political alignment in, in terms of electoral politics, uh, and they did reinforce it during that period of time. Because well, what you're going to have is you're going to have, a, a, in 2016, all the whatever happens, Clinton, Trump is going to dissipate more so, but yep. then you'll have all the things that were tribalism, identity politics, those things will stay. Yeah, um, they'll stay. And, and had this not been uncovered, right? those those assets, those pages that they had created would have stayed and they would have continued to influence and they would have continued to Damn. Uh, and, and then you would you know one of the things we did find pages that were still active while we were doing this and then we gave them to the Senate which gave them to Facebook because um, I at the time was not to communicate directly with the platforms everything was um, you know was I communicated with the Senate yeah, yeah. and and we did say, um, hey, there are some, here's some stuff, here's some assets that look to still be active. And so they, they came down. Uh, and that was content that was not English language. Uh, that was content that was uh, Arabic, actually, and focused on Syria. Uh, but the, uh, you, you could tell based on um, certain assets that they used. And then the other thing, the thing that is not in the slide deck, is the overt propaganda networks. And so that's RT and Sputnik. Mm. And so you'd see RT and Sputnik embedding tweets by Russian troll accounts Damn. that Twitter identified that pointed to Facebook pages. And so you, you see the way in which 
the overt, uh, you know, state-funded arm of the media, RT and Sputnik, um, are amplifying these troll accounts. Now, of course, we have no idea if they knew that they were troll accounts. That is, you know, again, there are coincidences in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, I, and this is a good way to just wrap. I, I do think that some of the crazy stuff about this is that, um, A, we have to figure out how we knew these were troll accounts. We have to figure out how we know all of the, where is the rest of the data and how can we get that data? How can we open source it, make it easier for us to be able to analyze it? Also, how can we prevent future um, uh, internet propaganda um, that is trying to be that is trying to be dis um, destructive, that is trying to um, push people uh, away from each other instead of have a nuanced discourse with one another. So, I'm curious. In in a you know maybe there is a way to get like a whistleblower that comes out from the IRA and says that this is all true. That's happened. Oh yeah, that's happened several times. Yeah, there've been a bunch of them. Ludmila Savichuk is yeah. So so she went undercover there and, and wrote an expose. Some of the best early coverage of the Internet Research Agency was done by Russian press. There's um, uh, I think it like transliterates to like RBK. Uh, sometimes it's RBC. Um, but it was a um, Russian site that has some fantastic data visualizations in which Russian trolls talk about their quotas for the day and how they decided what to post and, uh, and has visualizations on pages and things like that. And actually from that, I think we found the names of like two or three pages because that article came out before my, you know, before the Senate investigation started. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they know because the Internet Research Agency used to target Russian and Ukrainian citizens. It didn't start looking outward at America. Yeah, yeah, it started internally, you know, internally focused. So investigative journalists in Russia were interested in it as a function of um, what what is it what is it pushing to Russian people. And here's um, you know here's an example. And you know, Ron, if you wanna if you wanna pull up the NDI, um, this is this person <laughs> does not exist. Um, do you see it, Ronnie? Yeah, okay, cool. Just, this is the Generative Adversarial Network um, GAN, and um, this is something to test with your friends. You know, you can just refresh the page if you want, and you can find another completely uh, synthesized uh, face of someone that doesn't exist. Click refresh again. And so these are the types of things that, you know, we were discussing a little bit ago, that video that Trump um, posted about um, Nancy Pelosi, um, and th is is that actually how? What that percentage one was fake down. is that? You know, how, what percentage? Oh, that that's I mean, that's a fascinating question, right? Which is like, we've had um, you know we've had computer movie monsters for forever, right? And and, and there are certain um, you know, fiction is a thing, of course, and and so technology to fabricate is not new. Photoshop is old. Um, but as the technology changes, we, we have, you can, rather than, um, rather than edit something, you can create it, and that's the difference. So a true deep fake is not an edit of, it's not a splicing together of videos, uh, it's actually having the AI generate the content. Yes. And that's distinct. What Trump tweeted with um, Nancy Pelosi, my understanding, based on being on Twitter last night, um, was that that was sort of edited real footage um, 
there were a couple of videos of her that were floating around last night where in one she'd been slowed down to make her sound drunk. Um, that is more of like manipulation of real footage, which is a thing that has existed in the world for a while, as opposed to also uh, last week on the internet, yeah. uh, the generative um, audio of Joe Rogan. Yeah, correct. Right, where um, Joe has so much content on the internet, uh, podcasts, YouTube mm -hmm. videos, you know, uh, audio, just tons of it. And so what, so you use the existing data to train the AI, and so if you're a public figure who has a sufficient amount of, of uh, images of your face and, um, and the sound of your voice out there, people can make a deep fake of you saying whatever it is that they want to make you say. Yeah. And it's not real, and it's not an edit of footage, it is brand new footage. Brand new footage so people yeah. can't go back, you know, video editors can, uh, can look and see like, this video was slowed down, this video was sped up, this video was spliced. When the video is generated out of whole cloth, um, you, it, as the technology improves, it's much harder for someone to forensically say like, is this a secret leaked audio recording of Joe Rogan or Nancy Pelosi taken in some dark alley somewhere that they don't want you to know about? Um, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. this is the pressing issue. We have to become better critical thinkers. We're all yeah. talking about this. How do we do that? How do we teach kids that? How do we teach adults that? How do we geopolitically work together mm -hmm. um, moving forward? These are some of the most pressing questions of our time through the exponential technology age. That's why we talk about these things on the show. And Renee, this has been such a pleasure. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna. I can't believe we went through all of that. I, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the least it's we can do for the months and months of work well, by thank the teams, you. No, and, I appreciate that. and also yeah. hopefully we can inspire other people to, like we say, have a vaccine of critical thinking against some of this type of um, uh, content that can come up. Um, do you think we're in a simulation? That's such an interesting question. Um, my inclination is no, but that you know, I just. Uh, I sort of prefer the simplest explanation, which is, you know, uh, we're here, but I am not a student of physics, and so <laughs> I, I, I follow the uh, I follow the conversation. I don't think I have anything really intelligent to add to it. How about you? Um, uh, to just to be on time, I can tell you afterward. Um, but okay. what what do you what do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world? Oh, my kids. <laughs> I know that's such a mom answer, but I'm just like, oh, I look at them and I'm amazed. Yeah. Renee, this has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming thank on you. the show and teaching us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for having me. Thank you, yeah. Thank you for all your hard work. Yeah. There's a lot to still do. <laughs> There's a lot to still talk about. The vaccines, how we make the vaccines happen, the critical thinking <laughs> vaccines that that can prevent the, the craziness from spreading around the world further and the unity that we need. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Get talking to more of your friends, your family, your coworkers, people online on social media about disinformation, media, and trust. Get talking about it. Also check out the links below, ReneeDeresta.com, her Twitter, no upside. Also download the white paper in the slide deck at disinformationreport.com and share those with people around you. Also this person does not exist.com. Share that GAN with people. Um, get talking about it. Also huge shout out to Ron Vogus for producing and directing. Thank you for doing this long show, Ron. We really appreciate it. And also, Support the organizations, the entrepreneurs, the artists around the world that you believe in. Simulations links are below. Support us, help us scale and grow our impact. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you soon. Peace. <laughs> That's